Hello, everyone. Episode 57 here of Coffee Talks with Mike. Thanks for tuning in. And today, there is no book. But you can be sure if there's no official book, it means I might reference even more books, trying to connect some thoughts. But I was thinking about a few things the other day. And actually, the irony being that uh, these thoughts were prompted by a coffee talk I had with a student um, I was catching up with. And wonderful time conversation um and that's the glory of the community that comes with conversations over coffee right and as i was thinking about that i was connecting some other things in my head and i just want to share that with you so i want to talk a little bit about what has been referred to as like the theology of thin spaces essentially and so this is an idea that I may have talked about on another episode. Uh, I'm sure I probably have at this point. It's typically associated with Celtic spirituality. Um, and if you haven't heard that, then maybe uh, this will be an interesting thing for you to consider. Uh, I'm going to try to expand the idea beyond the physiological. Um, trying to pull up something something you know just off the internet real quick for you to to describe it um but uh, here here's a quote from a sacredjourney.net just using this as a jumping off point a phrase used for millennia the term uh, the phrase thin space it, it's a term that comes from the mystical world of celtic spiritual spirituality and celtic christians who were deeply connected to the natural world and considered every aspect of life to be infused with the presence of the divine, even the ordinary elements of everyday life. While historically, uh, the ancient Celts viewed thin spaces uh, and places as locations or moments in the cycle of the year where the veil between the world and the spiritual realm diminished and they could encounter those who had gone before them, today thin spaces are more commonly considered locations in where in which there is an undeniable connection to the divine or the sacred now obviously you can see how this idea uh can raise some eyebrows especially in um christian circles for very well i shouldn't say that in specific christian circles um typically i think there are uh th this is a very common idea even if we don't use this exact language in Christian circles, I'd say Orthodox and Catholic traditions, um, and perhaps even high church Protestants are more comfortable with this notion um, on the surface than perhaps some people in more evangelical traditions that might say, no, like God's everywhere. You know, we can't start saying there's super holy places and we need to go to the holiest place. And now we sound like we're Muslims or going to Mecca but certainly we see what the practical implications of something like this are, right? Like the idea that there are certain spaces that feel a little bit more holy than others. Um, and as I'm saying this, I, I can tell that I'm having like flashbacks to having this conversation with many people, but I really think I may have already done something in a podcast about this, but I want to dedicate some more focus to it. Um, so, let's just unpack the phrase. The idea is this thin space that like somehow the physical reality we live in, uh, there's some kind of veil between the physical and the spiritual and that 
we need to break down the physical boundaries so that we can see a spiritual reality, right? So we will often concede the point or the idea or the doctrine that God is omnipresent. God is everywhere in in some reality, some sense, but we need to become aware of God's presence everywhere. So we need to stop focusing and dwelling on the physical reality of a thing and recognize the spiritual reality that is God's presence. Okay, well then you take it that next step further to say there are some places where I feel far more aware of God's presence than others. That's the idea of a thin space, that somehow this veil is a little bit thinner. It's not as hard to work through or to look past the physical reality. Um, as I'm saying this, I'm writing down a note right now. I know I make promises all the time of books I want to do, but I really want to do The Abolition of Man by Lewis with you guys. He talks about this in a really helpful way, not in the context of thin spaces, the idea of looking through things. So if I don't do that in the next few months, or hopefully weeks, someone let me know. Okay, back on track. Thin spaces. Okay, so there's this idea that God is closer to us in certain spaces than others. Now, again, we understand that that's not true in one sense, and it could be completely true in another sense. Uh, I, I want to point us to a piece of scripture. So if there is no official book chapter, then at least I've got this one that I can draw upon. So this is, uh, you know, the holy book. Uh, this is Genesis chapter 10. Uh, no, it's not. Genesis chapter 28, verse 10. And this is a, a passage that we often don't know what to do with. Um, and I think it points to some of this idea for obvious reasons. So this is uh, the story of Jacob, one of the stories, I should say, and his dream at Bethel. This is verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went to Haran. He came to a certain place, stayed there for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of that place, he put it under his head and he laid down. And he dreamed that there was a stairway set up on the earth, the top of it reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on the staircase. And the Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and the north and south and all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I've done what I've promised you. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, surely, surely the Lord is in this place. I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And the story goes on a little bit further, um, but you can see this obvious connection, this idea. Now, uh, critics would say, well, Jacob was dreaming. He's just becoming aware that God is present at all places. But in a very literal sense, it seems like Jacob thinks this actual place is the gate of heaven. That's the statement we get. In fact, we get first, how awesome is this place? I take a lot of teenagers on camps and retreats. Some of them say things like, man, this place is awesome. Is that place, is that camp the gate of heaven? Probably not. Unless there are many gates of heaven. And what do we mean by the gate of heaven? Okay, now we got into heaven. 
or is there somehow something happening in this space that's allowing us to taste and see, use some uh, psalm language there, some of that reality of of the truth of heaven, of God, of goodness? Are there multiple ways in which we can experience God in these different places? Now, again, you might still be feeling a little uncomfortable with some of this, and that's okay. Uh, the reason this was put onto my mind is, yeah, there are a number of places, and I could list many of them, uh, certain camps I've been to, and not necessarily the camp itself, but even just the grounds of those camps. There's a place I went to growing up called Camp Pacomath. Very special place to me, not only because of the things that happened while I was there, but to the point where now when I go to that place years later, without there being a bunch of fun and games and friends, there's something about stepping into that normal, very rundown in different parts campground that makes me feel like I'm a little closer to God. Is that in my mind? Maybe, but it's kind of the placebo effect with anything, right? If it works, that's what matters. If the place enables you to become more aware of God's presence, isn't that the goal? Of course, we want to be aware of that presence and close to God in all places, but the reality is we're not, right? Don't let perfect be the enemy of the good. You start with where it works. Obviously, there are people that feel most connected to God at church, right? And they think that God is somehow trapped in the church building. That's where we got to go to get to God. That's what the temple sometimes was misconstrued as in Judaism, uh, in, in scripture, I should say, not currently. There, There's something to the idea that, that setting ourselves apart to go into this space enables us to become more aware of that presence. And there are certain places that enable us to become more aware of the presence. This is the idea of thin spaces, drawing upon Jacob's ladder, staircase. It's been called different things, right? So I'm having this conversation with a student, and we're talking about some some interesting different things. And uh, they were telling me about, and I don't think they'd mind me sharing this, um, but telling me about how there's a song that their parent once played at their funeral. Beautiful song, amazing song. And both of us loved this group. And we were just kind of laughing together with a little bit of tears in our eyes. It's like, it's kind of ruined the song, you know, because now as they hear this song, it makes them think of one day being at a funeral, celebrating their parents' life. And now this song is connected to that in some way. So now this song itself evokes a certain kind of emotional response, even though it used to just be a song. Many people will hear this song for the rest of their lives, billions of times, I'm sure. It's very popular. It's going to be a song that many people sing without liking it. Many people say that it's an overrated song. But for this particular person and family, this song now represents something else. The most ordinary things in our lives can become the most powerful symbols and gateways for us to experience something else. Right. Think about your best inside joke with your closest friends. Sometimes just the word peanut butter can trigger like uncontrollable laughter because it's connected to a very personal memory. Do I think peanut butter is a gateway to the divine? No, this this episode is not sponsored by Skippy or Peter Pan or any of the other Peter uh, peanut butter brands. 
the point being that sometimes the most ordinary things, which I know, like you've heard me talk about plenty from Thomas Merton quotes to many others, the most ordinary things are where God often resides, not in the thing. We're not doing pantheism here, but that the most ordinary things can help point us to God. Think about the simplest images that can point us to God. That's what a cross is, right? Oh, even the letter T becomes a cross in different ways, right? So you look at a cross and it communicates something. To some people, it communicates the crucifixion. It's the most literal communication. Some people, it's simply grace. It's salvation. It's forgiveness. It's peace. It's love. The cross is a very simple symbol. Uh, I was goofing off with my friends uh, the other night. There's a fitness Instagram that's supposed to be very, um, uh, man, I'm trying not to be too cynical. It's a, it's a Christian fitness Instagram thing. So basically it's videos of people working out with dramatic quotes on the screen and like pastors preaching as the audio. So it's like some guy doing a deadlift and then it's like, God's got a plan for you even when you're tired. And I was like, man, they're trying to really hit it on the nose here with the guy being tired doing the deadlift. And it's like, it's a little odd. So, why am I telling you this? Because sometimes people are connecting things uh, in ways that can almost be damaging, in my opinion. So their their logo is, it's a cross, but the cross board, cross beam of the cross is a barbell with 45 pound plates on it. It's a symbol. It's communicating something. And, and in the best light for those people associated with this group, they want to connect their physical fitness with their faith. And I get that. I, I do have some critiques of how they're doing that. But this symbol to them represents seeing their physical fitness through the lens of faith. Hopefully, uh, hopefully that's the direction it's going, right? Um, but we see symbols every day, symbols that mean all kinds of things to us for all kinds of reasons. And I'm trying to draw the connection. Maybe I'm doing it a poor job of it, but draw the connection of how these symbols can often be like these thin places. So we understand the concept of like, okay, I feel closer to God when I'm at church, or I feel closer to God when I'm on this mountaintop, literally. Uh, I feel closer to God when I'm in this particular place in the forest or, you know, at a graveside or wherever it may be for you. Um, and then as you talk to more people and start to hear more of their life story, those experiences and places expand quite a bit. It was at a concert. Well, do we think God shows up at concerts? Well, if God's everywhere, couldn't he? Oh, well, it was at a restaurant. Ugh, come on. You're saying you ate some pasta that was so good it made you feel like you were sitting with God? Again, uh, how far does our theology go, right? This idea that God is omnipresent, that God is with us in all places because God is outside of time and space in a way that our finite brains can't fully comprehend. So then, uh, obviously, there are moments and colloquialisms that kind of diminish this reality in some sense. Oh, it was that pasta dish was godly. It was a divine experience. Okay, sometimes I think we're going over the top with those things, and maybe that's my own you know, skepticism. But I do think there are places and things that make us have an experience that it's hard not to connect with God. And so the initial conversation with this student talking about um, this song that is beautiful and has been beautifully ruined in some sense. Not ruined, but you know what I mean, because of the association with death. 
it's like, oh, I wonder if I have any of those in my own life. And I'd been thinking about it and there are a few things that came up, but then I get to church on Sunday and at, at our church, we have three services. We have a chapel service that's like kind of really streamlined and just a few hymns. And then our nine o'clock service is our contemporary service, which is, you know, full band, can, uh, guitar and drums and things like that. And then our 11 o'clock is our traditional. So I go to the nine o'clock service and I hadn't looked at what the musical selections for that day was and or what they were rather. And the chords for a song begin. And it's one of the most significant songs in my experience of faith. It's a song called Beautiful Things by Gunger. And uh, the group Gunger, it's Michael Gunger and his wife, but um, they, they've been through all kinds of ups and downs and twists and turns in their own faith journeys. And some people don't really like them anymore. They, they were kind of at the top of the charts in regards to Christian music 15 years ago, which is when, when this song came out. Um, but this song has so many memories and moments in my faith journey attached to it. That's something about hearing the first few strums of the, the guitar without fail will sun chills throughout my body. Now, again, Mike, is this just in your mind? I don't know, but there's something about the sound made in this song, whether it's sung by the original singer or by our worship team here or anywhere I've heard it, uh, heard it a lot in college. There's something about the, the literal words of the song that take me to a certain place that force me to reflect on certain ideas. Um, there's a lot going on with this song that without fail, when I hear it, takes me to a different place in in one sense hopefully you see the connection here this song on its own is some kind of thin space for me uh, to the point where uh the the people that i associate with this song for all kinds of reasons i had to take a quick video when it started playing just to send to them just 20 seconds and say when the, when this song comes on makes me think of you you know because They've been so integral in helping form my faith, and and you know who you are. Um, another episode coming out about that soon. Um, but I I think sometimes we try to over intellectualize the faith, and I I'm chiefest of sinners in in that regard. But sometimes we're so concerned with avoiding the emotional side and the experiential side of things that we fail to allow our brains to turn off so that we can process and experience the presence of, of God in some sense. And I don't want to make this sound too, um, I, I don't know which word to use, charismatic, um, all the buzzwords associated with churches and things like that. But once again, when we start to think about thin places, places where you feel closer to God, places where you feel um, like things are clear, that makes sense. And sometimes there are songs that help us to make sense of things. Sometimes there are objects. Some people utilize candles, right? Again, if you go to a higher church setting, if you're not familiar with that term, um, you can Google it for a better definition than I'm about to give you, but just think about more traditional rhythms, you know, um, typically very 
traditional in the ancient kind of sense about a Catholic church or an Anglican church or an Orthodox church that has incense burning or candles burning. Why? Because it's shifting the experience of the reality in that given moment. Um, all throughout scripture, we read about sense, like not money, like S-C-E-N-T-S, smells, right? Why are we not associating those smells with divine experiences, right? Not not that you need that smell to go have a divine experience, but rather it's part of a multi-sensory perspective of worship. So we, we often use our ears to listen to preaching and music, and we use our voice to join in song. We use our eyes, but often reduce our eyes to just looking at the people singing or speaking, as opposed to looking at art, as opposed to looking at nature, looking at stained glass windows, looking at symbols that have been part of the faith for millennia. But what about our mouth? Well, we use our mouth to taste communion, okay? But what about our our nose? What are the smells you associate with things? And I'm sure I've talked about this a little bit before. Maybe it was an episode on communion, but talking about how like our sense of smell is one of the strongest neurological connections, apparently. Um, it's why you can remember the smell of your great-grandmother's house or the smell of a Thanksgiving afternoon, and the memories associated with those things are so strong. Um, this is outside my expertise, obviously, but it's what I've read. Um, but we often don't include that in our worship. Maybe certain scents are going to become uh, components of thin places for you to experience uh, the presence of God and become more aware of it in your everyday life, in your prayer life, your devotional life, and so on. But as I sat and had that conversation with that student, and then just a day later go to church and um, have this experience during the music, which like is not really char uh, a characteristic of me. If you know me, I don't really talk about having these dramatic experiences all the time. But it was something that just helped shape the moment, helped shape my perception of the next 45 minutes. It helped shape my, um, uh, my spirit in some sense, for lack of a better term, changed my posture towards God during the worship service. And I think one of the, the pitfalls and dangers are the kinds of places that are chasing this feeling all the time. Right. And I think there are clear examples and I won't name them, but of, churches and people that are under the impression that if you're not feeling this kind of feeling, if you're not, you know, chasing this feeling, then you're either lazy or you're sinful or something's going wrong in you. I don't think that's the case at all. I don't think that Jacob just set up his tent and never left that spot again. Uh, I think of this uh, famous story uh, in the New Testament where uh, Peter, James, and John go up the mountain with Jesus and see the transfiguration, which is a mystical, crazy kind of story anyways. And then they see uh, Moses and Elijah there with Jesus in some kind of spirit ghost-like form, apparently. And Peter sets up three tabernacles or tents uh, there for them. And when he does, they're gone. They leave. And ironically, as I'm saying this, I didn't plan this, but the same family that I associate with uh, with that song that's so meaningful to me. Uh, we were doing a devotional together once on this passage, and good old Tom, he uh, 
he made the point. Like sometimes when we try to dwell in that place, we don't allow ourselves to go to the next place God has in store for us. If you're just staying in this moment, hoping it'll never end, it will surely end. Um, of course, you know, the next quote's got to come from Lewis, but Lewis talks about in his space trilogy, um, the, the first installment out of the silent planet, but he just talks about the idea of an experience and that an experience is not fully experienced until it's already happened. And that the fullest joy that comes from it is the remembering of the thing. That's the only way we can fully experience something is by the anticipation of it, the experience of it and the reflection on it. And the reflection gets richer and richer and richer. And in a dangerous place, it'd be your reflection on it causes you to just chase that rather than taking joy in the thing itself. And I think that's what, you know, happened in that transfiguration story. I think that's what can happen when we think that our faith must be nothing but a series of these high octane moments where we're just so aware of the presence of God and it's just so energizing and people are falling over in tears and their arms are shaking. I'm pretty skeptical of those things. I can't lie to you about that. It's not really what we see in scripture either, by the way, of of the disciples, of the the leaders of the church. They're they're not described as people that were at every given moment falling over and and shaking and and that's not what we see. Doesn't mean it can't happen. It means that in a 21st century church and and perhaps a, a skewed skeptical realist mind, depending on the day. I'm not so sure that's what's going to lead us to the divine and to a closer relationship with God. But I can say it's undeniable that there are moments when I feel closer to God than others. There are places where I feel closer to God than others. There are songs that that help me to become more aware of God's presence than others. So as we try to connect some of these realities in our minds and our hearts and our experience of this journey of faith, it's important to listen to the stories of those that have gone before us, those that have passed down this faith to us, those that have shared in this faith to with us, because sometimes the, you know, just like for a song that's meaningful to you and your significant other, or you or your kids or you and your friends, just like the inside joke the ordinary thing might not be so meaningful to the next person. Jacob's family might not have thought that was a very impressive hillside in Bethel. It might have just been another hillside. And I mean, the most impressive one. It's not the tallest mountain. It's not the smallest mountain. It's not the most uh, beautiful mountain. It's just another one. But for Jacob, it was something more. And I think there are a lot of things in our lives that we write off because we're not becoming aware of God in the ordinary. Instead, we're looking for these crazy moments. It's like, no, no, no. Sometimes the simplest thing can help you become aware of God's presence in your life. And when you find those things, you need to pay attention. Pay attention. In the words of Merton, which I guess is the life metaphor for me for the last two years plus, but seeds of uh, contemplation. Right, This idea that God is planting thousands of seeds in our lives every day, but we don't notice them. We don't see them. We don't pay them any mind because they're so ordinary. We're so distracted. There are some ordinary things in your life that could be 
the very things that draw you into the presence of God. If you have the eyes to see and the ears to hear, that's the dream. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. That's the thing that draws us closest. That's the thing that brings us joy and brings us satisfaction, even in the worst of circumstances, is dwelling in that space. Because it's when we become aware that God is with us in those places. We know that we like to say that God's with us, even in the worst of circumstances, but sometimes we need a little reminder. Sometimes you need a dove to descend on you like it did on Jesus in his baptism. Sometimes you need something to remind you of God's presence in your life. Maybe you wear a cross necklace. Maybe you sing a certain tune. Maybe it's a prayer you repeat to yourself. Maybe it's the Lord's prayer. Maybe it's something. But don't don't diminish the reality of the thin spaces. Whether or not they're placebo effects or not, what matters is that they are helping you become aware of God's presence. And I think that's something to take seriously. So there's some brief reflections for today. Um, think about where you're going today. Think about what one or two of the most significant quote-unquote thin spaces or Jacob's Ladder locations in your own life have been. Maybe they're not locations. Maybe there are certain songs or certain experiences or whatever it might be. Um, certain relationships with people that just seem like they are so close to God, they make you feel closer to God. Our conversation at high school breakfast today, the, the conversation starter from one of the students, oh, there's an alarm. Conversation starter was when you feel like you're drifting away from your faith, what is the thing that draws you back? And the resounding answer was the community. Even when they feel so far, it's something about being around people that are connected in their faith that help them to come back. Not because they feel pressured, but because there's something happening in them that almost overflows into uh, these students as they experience this doubt or this kind of lack of motivation or whatever it might be. And I think that's true of all of us. And so as you go through your day, think about what are the areas where you feel most connected or the places that you think are most thin. And then think about what are the places where you could be experiencing God, but you haven't paid it much mind. So that's what I have for you. No official book, but you can guess we'll probably be back with Letters to Malcolm next week. So get ready. We're diving back into prayer. Have a good one.